Our scripture reading for today is going to be from Exodus 17, 1 through 6. If you are using the Pew Bibles, that can be found on page 53, um, or I'm sorry, 52, or it's all going to be on the screen behind me. <clears throat> so Exodus 17, 1 through 6. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come forth out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Well, today we are going to conclude our series entitled The Rock. We've been looking at some of the promises in God's word that are designed for us to be able to build our life on his truth, the things that he assures us of. He assures us of victory, of power, of a way of escape in times of temptation. These promises from his word are absolutely essential. Well, today, we're not going to look at a specific promise, but we're going to look at the reason why I called the whole series The Rock. Other than, you know, I'm just a little strange and I like props, there is a very strong biblical reason as to why this series is called The Rock. And so hopefully today you will discover exactly what that means. Um, But before we do that, because what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at the rock of satisfaction, how Jesus, Jesus satisfies our every thirst. So it's important for me to start with the most obvious question. Is anybody thirsty? Okay, this is good. This is good. I see anybody else that's thirsty? Okay, okay, this is good. This is good. It pays to sit up front. I hope you know that. Was there another? Was there another? Oh, there was a thirst here. See? Oh, yeah, look at this. I'll never even make it to the back. So, oh, there you go. All right. I should have brought more. Oh, there we go. There we go. Okay. Oh, man. I'm going to run out of water. Okay. So, oh, oh, was there two? Oh, sorry. Anybody else? Oh, man. Wow. Okay. There is a purpose to this whole strange illustration. You deserve one. You've been singing. In fact, you all do. You sang really, really well. Thank you. All right. And there's one. I have one left. Up top, up top. Okay. No way. <laughs> that would just get me in trouble. All right. The reason I, I pass out the water is simply, I want you to think about your thirst. Have you ever been, I mean, so dry that it just, I mean, it just like it was the only thing you could think about. You've been so thirsty. You just needed a drink of water. 
something to take away just the dryness in your throat. I want you to think about how important water is to our physical bodies. When your bodies fail to retain the proper amount of water, dehydration sets in. It is the water in your body that determines the vitality, strength, and energy required for daily living. Here's some facts just about you and your relationship to water. Up to 60% of the adult human body is made up of water. Now, interestingly, in most cases, men are a little wetter than women. You can take that however you want, but there's a little more water in us than there tends to be in ladies. I don't know why. Um, The brain and the heart are made up of 73% water. The lungs are 83% water. Your skin is 64% water. Muscles and kidneys are 79% water. And even your bones are made up of over 30% water. It's incredibly important to you and I. Interestingly enough, if you're really thirsty, the body absorbs cold water faster than hot, just so you know, if you're really thirsty. By the time you are 70 years old, you will have required 5.7 million liters of water just to survive. It's important. In fact, studies show that increasing water consumption can decrease fat deposits. Um, Water is a natural appetite suppressant. And yeah, there you go. And here's, here's important. If you lose 2%, just 2% of your body's water, your energy will decrease by 20%. Isn't that huge? If you lose 10% of your body's water, you'll be unable to walk. If you lose 20% of your water, you're dead. It's incredibly, incredibly important. I think you get the point that water is important to us physically. But now I want you to think about Jesus. Today we're going to celebrate uh, communion. And communion, is, in celebrating that, Jesus commanded us to partake of two things, of bread and of the cup of wine. And those two symbols represent his body and his blood. But they also represent something even more. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but these two symbols, the bread and the cup, represent the totality of Jesus' ministry. Jesus began his ministry, the very first thing that he did after he was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended upon him is he went out into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days and prayed. He spent the beginning of his ministry, the very first thing, hungry. Because he is the bread of life. That's why he said in answer to Satan's temptation, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus began his ministry with hunger. But he ended his ministry. He completed his ministry for you and I on earth with thirst. On the cross, Jesus Christ cried out in fulfillment of Scripture, I thirst. 
There are many reasons for that. Part of it is just, just what I quoted, that it is a fulfillment of Scripture. But I also believe it is for us to understand that every need that you have and I have, every hunger and every thirst of our souls, of our minds, of our relationships, of our bodies, are satisfied in Jesus Christ. He is the one who gives us absolutely everything we need for life. He gives us his promises. And the promises that we've looked at over the last uh, several weeks, we need to recognize that ultimately they are not just words that come from this book we call the Bible. The promises are a person. They are Jesus himself. Jesus Christ is the rock. He is the promise. He is the one who satisfies our every need. And so today's promise is simply that. Christ alone is my rock, my redeemer, and my source of life. In response to that, I will give him all that I am. That's what he calls us to do. We're going to see where this imagery comes from the scripture. And, but I want you to, as we begin, I want to make a few statements about Christ our rock, Christ our everything, and what he gives to us. First of all, he has given us, according to the Bible, everything that you and I need to build our lives on. Acts 17, 24 puts it this way. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all humanity life and breath and everything. What you need most, the deepest thirst in your soul, will only be found in Jesus Christ. When we learn that that's the place to go to, that's the one to turn to for our every need, our every thirst, our every hunger, we will find satisfaction because Jesus does personally satisfy every need and every thirst of your life. Secondly, Christ, our rock, has given us his provision to sustain and enrich our lives and our bodies. 2 Peter 1, verse 3, puts it this way. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and to godliness through knowledge of him, that's of Jesus, who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You see, Jesus' plan for your life is for you and I to come and find our satisfaction in him so that he can make us into the person he created us to be. So we complete our purpose. Our life has direction. It has meaning. Our life has relationship. It has intimacy. It has everything that we need when we turn completely to Christ. We looked at this last week that Jesus has given us these promises to sustain and comfort our minds, and those promises point to him. Christ, our rock, has given us his promises to sustain and comfort our minds. We looked at this verse last week, 1 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him 
that we can say our amen to God for his glory. Every promise finds its yes, its completion, its answer in Jesus. So Christ is our rock, our redeemer, our source of life, and we are to respond by giving all that we are to him. Now, where does that picture, what does that idea of Jesus or God being our rock come from? Well, I want to invite you to turn to a passage of Scripture in Psalm chapter 38, or excuse me, 78. Psalm 78 is a commentary on the passage that Melissa just read for us in Exodus 17. When you read through it, it's, it's an account of what happened in, in the form of a song uh, to the people of Israel in the wilderness. And there's some incredible things in there. One of them is in verse 35, it says this, that it it comes to a point where the drama that's unfolding in Psalm 78, and we'll look at it here in a little bit, um, hits a point where they stop, and it says they do this. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. Is God your rock? Is he the one that you're building your life on? But the image is more than just a good foundation. It is something far, far deeper. We need to build on that foundation and not only remember who God is, but remember that he is our source for all of life. Well, the passage that Melissa read to us, we see that the people of Israel are in the wilderness and... um, And and we need to recognize that there were hundreds of thousands of people there. And the Bible tells us that there was no water. And so they were complaining. Now understand that every day they were seeing miracles. Because the, the Bible tells us that every day manna, bread from heaven, appeared there with the dew on the ground. And so they had bread in the wilderness that was miraculously provided by God. And they had seen God's faithfulness in the signs and bringing them out of Egypt. They had seen um, him working through the 10 plagues. They'd seen the parting of the Red Sea and how they walked across on dry land. But they easily forgot the goodness of God. And when their physical thirst began to build, rather than praying, they complained. Now, so we don't put too much... um, pressure and blame on Israel, I think we need to recognize that that's exactly how I tend to respond to trial and difficulty and thirst as well. And chances are, so do you. We have a tendency to forget the goodness of God. The people of Israel were thirsty and they begin to complain. They had seen God do these miraculous things, but right now it seemed like He was distant. Even though they they remembered great things, in the moment, they were thirsty and they were desperate. But God provided water from a rock. I don't know about you, but that, that just takes my mind and just goes, that's crazy. I mean, how could one of the hardest substances on on earth be the thing that God uses to bring forth water. He does it because he's God. And to remind us that he alone is the source. He alone is the one who can meet your need and my need, even if it seems like it's absolutely 
impossible. Now I want you to look at, at, at the key verse that tells us what this is all about. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to that, and let's, let's look at this. It says this. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is talking about the children of Israel in the wilderness, and he's, he's saying all the things that they had, and here's what it says in verse 4. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was who? Christ. Christ. Rock wasn't just a boulder. The rock was a person. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. The rock that appeared that miraculously gave water was not just a stone. It wasn't just a boulder. It wasn't just a mountain that was there in the wilderness. It was an appearance of Christ himself. And in the passage in Exodus um, 17, it said, you know, God said to Moses, I myself will appear there at the rock. But he not only just appeared there, he was the rock. And when you read through the rest of the account of Israel in the wilderness, you discover that Jesus personally and completely provided for their needs on more than one occasion. In fact, what this is, is it's called a theophany, which is, it's an appearance of Jesus before Christmas, before he took on flesh and became a human being, um, born of the Virgin Mary, he appeared to his people and he provided supernaturally in this way as the rock. The scripture tells us that the rock followed them for 40 years. For 40 years, Jesus provided personally for the thirst of his people, and yet still they complained. According to the Agata, which is a, 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 um, it's a midrash commentary on, on the Old Testament law, According to that, the children of Israel were accompanied in the desert, not only by a rock, but by a rolling stone that poured forth water. Do you realize what that means? This one's for you, Trev. It means Jesus invented rock and roll. <laughs> I, told, I told you it was going to be a horrible joke. Anyway, here... Somebody's going to tell somebody else that one. I know. Here's a rock that, can you imagine being there and, and you're beginning to take off and you're going to go to the next place and there's this giant rock and it's rolling. It's going along with you. Now, I don't know whether it literally did or, because this is a commentary, it's not the scripture. So don't, and obviously Jesus didn't really in, invent rock and roll. Elvis did. Um, so, or whoever else you want to give credit to on, on that one. But it followed them. Jesus was personally with them day after day in the wilderness. Paul tells us that the rock was Jesus himself. He provided food, the manna. He provided living water in the wilderness. In the same way, God has provided for you and me incredible gifts of life, of freedom, of food, of water, of shelter, of friendship, of relationships, and most importantly of all, salvation. But the question in the scripture, both in Exodus 17, in Psalm 78, and in 1 Corinthians 10, 
is this. Is God pleased with you? Are you recognizing his gifts? Are you recognizing him as the source? Or if you were to characterize your life when you look back over this last week, would it be defined by complaining to God instead of exalting him, trusting him, praising him? You see, we're just like Israel. In Psalm 78, it gives us some insight into that about how God was not pleased with the people. Psalm 78, he says this in verse 15. He splits the rock in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. And that word literally means it's a gracious supply from God. It wasn't just a a little fountain there. There were hundreds of thousands of people that needed to drink from it. In fact, the, the scriptures describe it as that coming out of that rock was a river that flowed that brought life and sustenance and refreshment to every person and the land around them as the water poured out. God supplies abundantly as from the deep. Verse 16, he says, he made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers, yet they stinned still more against him, rebelling against the most high in the desert. Verse 18 says, they tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that the water gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he also give bread to provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. He was angry. And a fire was kindled against Jacob and his anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Those are sobering words. They're words we need to use as a mirror to our own heart and life to see, Lord, am I truly trusting you? Or am I just hoping that you'll provide a little extra to help me do what I want to do in my strength? Am I seeking and relying on you? God was filled with anger because of the rebellious, ungrateful hearts of his people. So God began to take the lives of the youngest and the strongest among the people, according to the scriptures, because God will not be mocked. When the people begin losing their lives, then they begin to turn around and they turn back to God. See, oftentimes, one of the purposes of trials in our life is to bring us back to the source of life, God himself. Maybe you're going through a difficult time right now. Well, the promise of God is that he is with you, but also the invitation of God is that you would turn to him. Turn to not just him for answers, but turn to rely on him for himself, to allow him to be the refreshment that you you need and you desire most. Verse 35 says, they remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer, but they flattered him with their mouths and they lied to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. You see, 
in essence, what the children of Israel were in the wilderness were part-time believers. With their mouths, they would say, yes, I believe God, but their hearts were far from him. What about us? Are we part-time believers? Do we gather together on Sunday and worship and praise his name and then forget that he is our source and our satisfaction on Monday or on Tuesday? Are we part-time believers? The New Testament affirms this in the verse I read in 1 Corinthians 2. For they drank from the, or 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. I pray that is not a description of me. That God will be pleased with me because I'm trusting in him. But something interesting happens. Verse 38 of Psalm 78 says this, because this is our God. God had every reason to absolutely wipe them out, just like he has every reason to wipe me out. Look what he says in verse 38 of Psalm 78. Yet he, this is God, being compassionate, atoned. That means he made payment for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger Often, and did not stir up all his wrath. The great news of the gospel is that God restrains his anger even though we deserve it. But God did choose to pour out his anger on his son. He poured out all the wrath that you and I deserve on Jesus Christ. That's why Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, on the rock, the iniquity of us all. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for sin. He shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Here's the promise. God in his grace, in his compassion, his love and his mercy for you and for me chose to pour out the wrath we deserved on his son. Christ, our redeemer, has given us his life to redeem our souls from sin and separation from God. And that's what we see that happened on the cross. When we read the crucifixion story, When we remember Jesus' death, we need to remember that he is perfectly innocent. He is absolutely holy. And yet the wrath of God was poured out on him through what was happening on the cross. Matthew 27, 45 and 46 says it this way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The perfect son who was absolutely sinless, totally obedient, God laid upon him everything you and I deserved. And The unity, the oneness between God the Father and God the Son was sacrificed for you and I. 
Jesus was abandoned in the way we should have been abandoned. And what is more, we see in John, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch, and they held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Those two little words are absolutely huge. I thirst. The words of the Savior are important because on the cross, Jesus took your thirst, my thirst, and in so doing, he satisfies absolutely every need we have. Now, the Bible says that he did this to fulfill Scripture, and we find that in Psalm 69:21. It prophesied this event on the cross. It says, they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. And then Psalm 22, 14 says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint and my heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up. He's dehydrated like a piece of pottery and my tongue sticks to my jaws and you lay me in the dust of death. I gave you those statistics early on to, to tell you how important water is. Do you realize that on the cross, Jesus Christ, the water of life was literally pouring out of him. He became dehydrated so that he could take on your thirst and my thirst on the cross. That's what we see in the cup. Not only was his blood shed, he took on our thirst So whatever it is that you thirst for and I thirst for, know that Jesus was willing to give up everything. He was willing to give up not only his life, but his relationship with his father out of love for you because he wants you to realize he is your source of satisfaction and of life and of salvation. And saying, I thirst, we see the pure humanity of Jesus, that he was fully God and yet fully human, suffering in, in a way that is almost undescribable. When you're truly thirsty, it blocks absolutely everything else out of your mind. Even other wounds pale in comparison to the thirst that Jesus would have endured. Our bodies need water to survive. We're thirsty. But Jesus also took on the thirst of our souls. He took on your thirst for meaning because he wanted to show you that God made you for himself. He took on your thirst for significance and for direction He has given us his word about how we are to live as individuals and as a people. He's taken on your thirst for intimacy and love by willingly, out of love, laying down his life for you and for me. In fact, just before we go to Lord's Supper, I want to show you a glimpse from the cross to show you how Jesus quenched our deepest thirst. The human soul, first of all, thirsts for truth. 
and we think about the cross, you look at the foot that was driven down into that, to that rock there on Golgotha, on the Mount of the Skull. The foot of the cross is anchored in the rock that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is our only source of salvation. There is no other way to the Father except through him. The human soul also thirsts for love. And as you look at the upright beam of the cross, you see that Jesus is providing a way of relationship with God through his love sacrifice for us. It, the cross, as it reaches up, reaches to heaven and also brought heaven down to earth. It is our only way to have a relationship with God. The human soul thirsts for justice. And the arms of the cross are broad enough to embrace us and strong enough to bear the judgment that you and I deserve. In fact, the very words of, of Scripture in Exodus 6, 8 says, God says of himself, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Christ Jesus gave the perfect balance of love and justice on the cross because God came to meet our deepest thirst. But also the human soul thirsts for forgiveness. At the head of the cross, Jesus Christ bore the curse on his brow and poured out his blood for our forgiveness. One of the most unique things about the crucifixion of Jesus is the crown of thorns. There is no indication that a crown of thorns was ever used in any crucifixion other than Jesus Christ. And that crown of thorns is a picture of the prophecy that happened of the curse. Because God said, because of human sin, there is a curse upon the earth. And earth and the earth will now produce thorns and thistles. Instead of just an abundant harvest, it's going to produce things that cause wounds. And that humanity would now, because of the curse, because of the rebellion, they would have to labor by the sweat of their brow. What God intended to be work that was fulfillment now has become an effort that is huge. And in the crown of thorns, Jesus bore our curse, both the curse on the earth and the curse on humanity. And his blood was poured out for your forgiveness and for my forgiveness. That's the picture of the cross. And what God wants you to know is you can't pay it because Jesus paid it all. That's why in Isaiah, we looked at this last week, here's his invitation. Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price because salvation is a free gift that comes from God. He provided it just like he provided water in the wilderness out of a rock. And he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Jesus wants to meet your every thirst. Will you come to him? For some of you, that means today you need to stop relying on yourself and simply say, Jesus, I need you. 
because I can't do anything to satisfy the thirst of my soul. I'm coming to you for salvation. For others, there may be areas where you're relying on your own strength. You're trying to do things on your own independently of God, and you simply need to turn around and remember that God is your rock. He's your rescuer. He is your source of life. You see, when we come to the table for communion, it is a time to remember. It is a time to put things back into right perspective. And that's why we're reminded that every time that we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are to proclaim his death until he comes. We are reminded by the bread that Jesus is the bread of life and that in him we are sustained. We find strength. The bread represents his body, which was given for you and for me on the cross. And the cup represents his blood, which was poured out to quench your thirst and my thirst and for the forgiveness of our sins. When we come to the table, we remember what God has done for us. But also, we remember that he is the one who gives us everything that we need for life and for godliness, for a right relationship with him. It is found not by our effort, but by trusting fully in him. When we eat of the bread, we're doing an act that reminds us that he is the one who provides everything for us. When we drink of the cup, it is a reminder that Jesus Christ is the one who quenches our every thirst. That's what we celebrate. And I think it's so beautiful that it also represents the total ministry of Jesus. He was hungry for you and he thirsted on the cross for you because that's how much our God loves us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the message of your word. Lord, Jesus, how can we say thank you when you gave everything that you are for us? The only way that we can do that is to give all that we are to you. So Lord, would you help us to do that today as we prepare to come and celebrate the Lord's Supper together? Lord, would you remind us of your goodness? Would you remind us that you are the one place in all of the universe that we can turn to that will truly satisfy our need for salvation, our need for hope, our need for life, our need for joy, for relationship, for meaning, for purpose, for everything. So today, as we come to the table, we come to you, Lord Jesus, for you are our rock, you are our rescuer, you are our life, you are our living hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to invite those who are serving to come and uh, serve the Lord's Supper. Um, we're going to ask the worship team to come and partake of it first, and then um, you're welcome to come and join with us as the worship team uh, will be leading us in, in a song of praise to the Lord. The table is open. Let us remember the goodness of our God who satisfies our every need.